Hey, everyone. You're listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. Our guest today is Hunter Thurman, president of Alpha Diver. Alpha Diver is a consultancy that leverages neuroscience to help brands target the right consumers and identify the best moments for activation. Prior to starting Alpha Diver, Hunter served as a consultant at WPP and Global Insights Strategy and Innovation. Additionally, he served over a decade as an innovation strategy mentor at The Brandry. Hunter, welcome to the Happy Market Research Podcast. Great. Thank you. Great to be here. The Michigan State University's Master of Science in Marketing Research Program delivers the number one ranked insights and analytics degree in three formats full-time on campus, full-time online, and part-time online. New for 2022, if you can't commit to their full degree program, simply begin with one of their three core certifications, Insights Design or Insights Analysis. In addition to the certification, all the courses you complete will build towards your graduation. If you're looking to achieve your full potential, check out MSNMU's program at broad.msu.edu slash marketing. Again, broad.msu.edu slash marketing. HubUX is a research operations platform for private panel management, qualitative automation, including video audition questions, and surveys. For a limited time, user seats are free. If you'd like to learn more or create your own account, visit hubux.com. It's a huge honor to have you. I like the work you guys are doing a lot, which is why we've carved this out. This is not a sponsored episode, but there's a lot of value uh, structurally in talking about your business and, and how other companies might be thinking about, specifically brands, thinking about layering up the solutions that you have, whether it's with you or not. But you know, this is really kind of a lift for the industry at large. But before we get into that, let's, let's set a little bit of context. Tell me about your parents and what they did and how that informs what you do today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, they've had a, a, a pivotal influence on my career. So I, I grew up, uh, we're based in Cincinnati, but I, I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is kind of an interesting place to be from. And both of my parents were CPAs. That's how they met, uh, working at a big accounting firm. And, and they started their own accounting firm uh, in Santa Fe. And that was their livelihood up until very recently. And, you know, so so in that regard, I, this apple couldn't have fallen farther from the tree. Um, you know, our, our CFO is kind of like, dude, your parents were CPAs. <laughs> like, And I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. It, it's not, I'm not cut from that cloth. But, you know, I, what they ingrained in me, and I think you hear a lot of people say this, but, you know, running their own business, there was a lot of tenacity, you know, a lot of toughness to it. And I think that's something I've taken from my parents that, you know, I think about often, there's no uh, substitute for a little bit of toughness in, in day-to-day life and certainly in day-to-day business. Yeah, for sure. It, it is interesting, the role of accounting, right? Both market research as a science uh, and accounting are foundationally are, are numbers-based, yeah. which is super interesting. I think the big deviation here is the risks associated with uh, launching and executing a project versus more of the conservative frameworks of accounting. That's true. That's true. And, uh, you know, you're making me realize that there's more in common to accounting than I previously realized. And, and in what we're doing here in that, you know, our mission is to make this much more objective, this being, you know, consumer understanding, market research, insights and strategy. I, you know, that has really been, and I'm sure we'll get into this. That's been my aspiration is to make this a more durable 
objective practice. And you're right, that is that is more like accounting than, than a lot of a lot of market research is. That's never occurred to me before this. So um, let's talk a little bit about the business. You s- started it, and so there's like an entrepreneurial component, like foundationally, right? At anytime you start something, I've, I've said this a lot. Starting a business is a lot like writing a fiction and then bringing that fiction to life. It's quite literally taking something that does not exist and then creating that that entity. Why did you decide to start Alpha Diver? Yeah, you know, I, I started. So I started this company in 2011. I, I was kind of at the midpoint of my career, and the short answer is I, I became very dissatisfied that there really wasn't a, as I said a moment ago, durable, tangible, I guess, scientific process to insights. And, you know, I had a great gig going at, a, at an insights firm, you know, running that firm. And I, if I was being honest with myself, I couldn't explain how we were doing it. You know, and it, it, it sort of every project, every engagement, every challenge kind of felt like opening night. And, and that I, I just grew dissatisfied with that. And, and along that same, around that same time, I started discovering, you know, the academic world of what's still called, you know, behavioral science, psychology, neuroscience, et cetera, uh, and started to really discover, A, how little, you know, the, the enterprise and, and, and the market research world and that world interacted, and B, how much they had to teach each other. And obviously, my interest was more of a one-way flow, teaching enterprise from the world of academia, uh, and, and really just discovered and, and, you know, sort of envisioned this way of, you know, more predictably getting to, to human and consumer truths, and really bringing that world of academic knowledge to bear. Uh, in our space. Tell me about the name. How did you land on Alpha Diver? It's a great question. So part of what we do internally, our model is about these durable drivers and barriers. So that was one of the first things I learned, you know, working with, namely, uh, Siggy Hale, who's our principal neuroscientist um, and, and has been with me really from the early days. You know, he, he, he immediately kind of said, as we were describing to each other what we do and kind of meeting for the first time, he said, you know, we, being neuroscientists, we kind of understand why people do what they do. It's diagnosing it in a context that's difficult. Of course, my you know ears perked up. And with that, there are these, these four durable drivers, these four reasons that people do something, these four lenses that we as humans use in making decisions. And the most pre-conscious, the most subconscious, many call it system one, of those drivers, our internal shorthand is the alpha mindset and the diver mindset. And so as we were, as we were naming the firm, we said, well, what's something, you know, only we could call ourselves and it's really meaningful to us. And we liked the alliteration of, of Alpha Diver and hence the, hence the name. You said there's four drivers. Now I want to know what the other two are. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, so so the alpha is the most instinctual. The diver is the most exploratory and experiential. The other two are what internally we call the triber or the tribal mindset, which is like wisdom of the tribe, wisdom of the crowd. And then last but not least is the one where most most people start the rational, the practical. Mm. Internally, our shorthand for that is the expert mindset. That's the place where a lot of market research or at least traditional research, begins and ends. It's what people think they think. And we humans like to think that we're very rational and make informed, choiceful, comparative decisions. But it's it's rarely the case out in, in the real world of you know yards and inches in, in brand choice or where to shop or how to shop, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, there's too much data 
involved in actually making a decision, even as simple as what cereal I should be buying for my family. That's right. Well, if you tried to make a comparative, rational, informed decision about everything, you'd have very little time to do anything else. And there's really interesting case studies. You may be channeling one there where, you know, we need our emotional minds to make decisions. And so that's really the, you know, the business we're in is is diagnosing those decision-making criteria, the full set, you know, including the subconscious at a quantitative scale. You know, so being able to, to diagnose that really accurately um, and get to what, you know, the true whys behind human behavior. And that, that's been very satisfying. And that was sort of what, at least generally speaking, brought me to this journey, you know, 11 and some years ago. So you talk about like measuring neuro patterns, right? The thoughts, am I thinking of it correctly? To a degree. I mean, most neuroscience, when people hear it, that's what they think of. It's, it's what they would call non-ambulatory which means like mm-hmm. shower caps and EEG yeah. and, you know, what, and, and like heat or eye tracking and things like that. Those are certainly in the space. Our unique approach and, and what, what Siggy and team have built is essentially a way to measure the, the subconscious factors behind decision-making, but via a survey. So this actually, our platform and our instrument, it, it, we, it sits on Decipher. So we run our studies on screens, you know, and, and we do them all around the world. And of course, all, you know, at, at large scale, because people can take it on a screen. So Siggy calls it pencil and paper brain imaging. And what that means is via this mechanism, and it's these kind of interesting word cloud, a lot of it's word cloud sorting, where we'll say, thinking about, you know, breakfast, to your point a moment ago, sort these or rank these, and they rank these word clouds that are very carefully designed, you know, by neuroscientists and and plug into our algorithm and, and reveal to us what the decision-making criteria is for that respondent. So yes, we're, we're using like this really deep, rich neuroscience, but we're able to do it in a really passive, easy way for the respondent. They don't do much thinking and, and they can simply go through these activities on their phone or their, you know, their, their whatever screen and you know, inadvertently reveal to us their psychology relative to whatever it is we're studying. Yeah, I mean, and we, of course, seasoned researchers all know this, you get more accurate information or points of view from the consumer if you're not directly asking them a question. You know, pricing is a really good example of that. There's inherent bias that's introduced in any price. So if you put a $100 bottle of wine in front of me versus a $5 bottle, I'm going to intrinsically hold more value with a $100 bottle of wine. And yet a consumer would tell you, and myself included, I'd rather pay $5 than $100 but I would never bring the $5, you know, I'd probably never buy the $5 bottle of wine. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, when we try to, and that's sort of, you know, my point on the, on the drivers, when, when we try to diagnose and explain our own behavior, there's so much stuff that gets in the way. There's all the heuristics, which is what you're referring to, you know, these, these yeah. decision-making shortcuts that we're not aware of, but influence our decisions day in and day out. And then there's all these narratives and all this stuff, this subjectivity, essentially, that gets in the way even of our, of our explanations of our own behavior. So we always kind of joke that because we're getting to the root of why people do or don't do things, our studies never, I don't think one place does it say why do we ask them to explain why? And yet that's exactly what we're, you know, what we're getting to at the really root level. It is interesting. It, when you describe the methodology, in some ways, it kind of sounds like a max dip or even, you know, some kind of broader conjoint. Well, it's, you know, from an analytic perspective, that was one thing I learned early on it. When I started, someone said, you need to talk to this neuroscientist. And I kind of went neuroscience. I pictured it more like neurosurgery, like 
physiological, mm-hmm. like the parts of the brain and things like that. But what I quickly learned is, is neuroscientists are actually highly quantitative and right. high, highly, you know, data involved. Um, and so, you know, our whole back end, the algorithm and the, it's called Stabler, essentially the, the data processing machine is built and administered by our neuroscientists. And that basically lets us get to, you know, this really accurate understanding of um, what underpins people's behavior without us really having to, to ask them, you know, to explain it or, or even, you know, trying to observe what it is that, you know, they think they think or what their behavior is. We're able to do these pretty simple activities that essentially strips away all that subjectivity. Um, you know, it eliminates it from the signal, if you will. Yeah, it's, it's so powerful. To your point, if you can drive down... T- to the alpha mind, then it really does. I mean, there's just nothing more powerful that you'd be able to connect with. I am curious. So alpha and then diver, right? Mm -hmm. And then all the way down to rational. Mm -hmm. Is that an order of importance? In terms of cognition, it is. And so there is, you know, they're all in place. So when a signal, there's all these cool stats on the world that I, I always misquote them, but it's something like 10 billion or 10 million or, you know, just a ton of data points assault a person, you know, per second. So there's just constant onslaught of stimuli, visual, auditory, tactile, olfactory, you know, all the senses. We were just constantly inundated. And that that was true before, you know, social media and, and the internet and things, but it's certainly exacerbated now. And so our subconscious brain, that alpha, that most subconscious is like a bouncer at a nightclub the velvet rope. It's the thing that, you know, the very initial signals, it forms an emotion. And and essentially those more subconscious emotions are what then translate what gets sent upstairs, if you will, up to the more rational parts of the brain to be considered and thought about. And if everything went up, we'd be exhausted because our brain is actually a really inefficient organ. So we have, we are meaning our, our subconscious minds have to be really, really discriminating about what gets through. So there is this thought process that includes all of them and they they do go kind of back to front. Interestingly, what we find and in, in, you know given you know a market context of food or drink category or whatever, one of the four drivers, sometimes the rational, but sometimes that most you know crude kind of cave brain that alpha mindset will be the point at which the decision making sort of stops and gets processed and drives actual behavior. So it's not that in any context, you have to say, well, what's the first, second, third, and fourth thing that happens? What we're saying is, and what we're we're measuring is, which of those is most influential? And which is the data that the person is using for that context, for that category, that decision to actually make, make their decision? So is it most important or is it like proportional? Meaning that I always think of like, maybe it feels to me like it's almost zero sum and, you know, alpha is some, you know, and then driver is another portion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not zero sum. No, you're exactly right. They're all present in all of our decisions. It's almost like in our brain, we have these four people sitting at like a little boardroom. Um, And it's which of those little personas comes to the chair and leads the thinking. And so in our data, we'll see that there's like a primary driver and a secondary driver, and they may be fairly close together. And that tells us a lot about the profile. So it's not zero sum. But in, you know, in describing it and explaining, you know, the model, you know, yes, we tend to say, well, which is it that's driving them? Because at the end of the day, that's what you activate against. And that's what tells us, you know, yes, this is all good sport and, and interesting to, you know, psychologically profile people. But ultimately, that's what dictates to us 
how to action on it, you know, how to communicate with people, who, when, where, and how to, to reach people on the marketplace in ways that will actually drive their behavior. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about why you started the business in the context of the pain in the market that you saw. But before I do, I mean, you have an interesting background, right? You served as a consultant to WPP as Global Insights and Strategy and Innovation. And you did that for over a decade. And then again, over a decade, Innovation Strategy Mentor at The Brandry. And for those who don't know, The Brandry is an early stage consumer marketing venture accelerator. So a lot of exposure to um, new ideas, great ideas, really smart people, probably some really bad <laughs> ideas too. True. Right. And then author for, for quite a while. And well, actually, I should rephrase that author <laughs> after you started, I believe, after you started the uh, Alpha Diver. But like, what led you from the innovation framework of the Brandry into starting this business? Yeah, you know, in our early days, we did a lot of innovation, a lot of innovation work, a lot of, um, you know, what does the world need that we're uniquely, you know, we being, you know, our partners are uniquely suited to create. And what we found, you know, what we've evolved to is that, you know, the real pain for most organizations is relative to insights is how can we make this actionable? How can we, you know, essentially sell what we already make more effectively? So our outputs do guide innovation strategy. I mean, they'll reveal like, you know, look, you're really winning with people that, are, that have this profile. You could with things like this, you know, innovation or acquisitions or whatever, things like this, you could very likely attract this other profile. So we're certainly able to guide that. But, you know, the pain point that we really honed in on is more about, you know, sort of the, the oldest pain point in the book, actionable insights. Things that, you know, understanding that don't just explain, you know, at the kind of the high level, you need to better execute the planogram for, you know, to enable shoppers, or you need to create an engaging e-com experience, you know, for your brand. Going three clicks deeper than that, saying the way to do that, the top three priorities in order to do that are one, two, and three. And so really our ability to do that is what's guided us more to working with, you know, going brands and drive more, you know, consumer and shopper insight and activational strategy versus pure innovation, which was a lot of my background. And, you know, we still, of course, those two are not, those two worlds are not mutually exclusive, but in the early days, it was kind of a lot of innovation with a little bit of insight and strategy. And we've really reversed that over the last, you know, decade plus. When you started the business, was there a specific customer or moment where you're like, God, it'd be great if? You know, I don't know that there was an, it would be great if, I mean, when I first started, it was, I had just had my my second daughter, my third child, she was like two weeks old, and I, you know, left this well-paying job to start this, you know, to, to pursue this uh, this adventure. Um, and and a, a, a client that I'd worked with over the years, um, Z Talaga, who is just awesome, she was like all go. You know, she's one of those insights leaders that plays to win versus playing not to lose. And there was this really challenging opportunity or challenge that she had on her plate. And it, it really all just kind of fell into place. I mean, obviously, you know, that first project was huge. It kept the lights on. I remember the project name was, it was called One Shot because it had, we had one shot on this new technology <laughs> to find. I mean, it was like, it was so weird looking, thinking back to it that we, that we called the project that. And it was, it was super shot, high yeah. profile, super high pressure, which I, you know, I've, I've never backed down from. 
But as we started into it, you know, and I, I said, all right, well, we're going to be doing this differently. We're going to be using academic modeling, you know, and, and, and neuroscience and psychology modeling to assess and plan this. It, it was like, it's what I'd been looking for, you know, immediately upon starting to work with Siggy and others, it's like, oh yeah, this makes sense. There's a framework that we can work within. And so all the like, you know, uncertainty of a project like that really melted away because we knew what we were looking for. And, and it was, you know, it was the difference between wandering in the woods and, and, and hiking with a map. And, yeah. and that was very, of course, that's consistently what we experienced, but that was really gratifying to kind of experience that in a real live uh, sort of pressure cooker project for the first time. It's, it's funny how like there's so many things that can kill you when you start a business and you really need that champion customer to get it off the ground. It's a such a consistent theme that I've that I've heard. So let's pull back into like more recent days. Do you have a, a favorite project or moment in a project, maybe outcome? Yeah, I mean, you know, that probably was my favorite a number okay. of reasons. As I said, I mean, it was just sort of proof of concept validation all all at the same time. But again, experiencing that like, yeah, th this works, like my instinct on this, that there's, you know, a better way, you know, forward, you know, and in that case, it's like we were talking, we were working with teenagers and young adults, you know, was the audience. They're notoriously difficult to pry insights out of, you know, there's a lot of shrugging and I don't knows and things like that. Yeah, you know, and so the totally. fact that we were, that it worked and that we were having these revelations and finding these insights, you know, very quickly, that was huge. I mean, that was transformative. My favorite types of projects are, and certainly true to form with Lindsay, working with teams that have that let's play to win versus playing not to lose. You know, that I don't care if you've been here mm. for 25 years, that's still a, a huge difference maker. In psychology, it's called approach versus avoidance. You've got to be an approach. You've got to be moving forward versus avoiding going backwards. And I know it sounds it sounds sort of, I don't know, simplistic, but those are the favorite projects. You know, when we're able to work with teams that are really, you know, ambitious um, and, and very approach-minded about what's possible. You know, the other thing I like in projects, there was one not long ago where we were looking at these um, like summer parties, you know, these, these big events over the summer. And the reasons that consumers thought they did things were pretty apparent. I mean, when they, when they told you how they made brand decisions and they explained things in traditional research, which they had done prior to us coming along, it all made, you know, it made a lot of sense and it was very consistent. You know, you hear that a lot in the, in the, the hallways of, of insight teams. Well, we've heard that before and everybody's like really excited by that. They're like, this is good. It's consistent. They had heard very consistent things, but the business was very flat. And we were able to come in and, and you know, using this, this framework and this measure, diagnose that, yeah, you know, what they said and the way that it looked wasn't wrong, but the reason, you know, between the ears was different. It was, it was not what they had previously believed or what people thought they thought, you know, what consumers had told them. And by, by making just the, some subtle changes, you know, in activation, like in digital activation and even all the way to in-store, it took, and this was like billion-dollar brands, it, it took a flat category to like 10% quarter over quarter growth. So it just had these dramatic impacts. And so, you know, those are the projects that are my favorite when, when the team is really ambitious, whether because they have to be, you know, in that case, because they're like in a flat or declining category, or they really, you know, they really want to put a dent in the universe. And then applying these, you know, these truths to then drive these big business, you know, results. Obviously, that's what we're all here for at the end of the day. But, but the process is almost just as enjoyable as the outcomes. And, you know, that project is another one that's near and dear to my heart. 
My last question always makes me a little sad when I'm enjoying the conversation so much, but what is your personal motto? So my dad said this to me not, not long ago, and I've sort of adapted it as my personal motto. It's this little phrase I tell myself, it's all perspective. You know, and, and it's <laughs> it, one thing that, you know, the neuroscientist taught me early on, Siggy, was um, it, context is, is key. You know, everything we do, everything that human beings do, all the decision making we do happens within a context. And, uh, you know, that motto, that mantra of, of it's all perspective, you know, in, in everyday life, you know, it's certainly true of the work we're doing, but it's true, you know, when you have your tough days and your, your down moments, stepping back and going, well, what's another perspective that I, I really should be looking at this from? And it's, it's been really empowering. That's probably been my motto over the past year, but um, it's really been helpful to me. Our guest today has been Hunter Thurman, president at Alpha Diver. Hunter, thank you for being on the Happy Market Research Podcast today. Thank you, Jamin. Enjoyed it. Everyone else, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, and I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. As always, if you post on this episode and tag me, I will send you a free t-shirt. And with that, have a great rest of your day.